Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 18. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by Wake Forest Head Football Coach Dave Clawson, the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl Executive Director Doug Mosley, and the President of Logitech's Greg Nordman. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest just completed his ninth season as the head football coach at Wake Forest University. He's been a college head coach 23 years overall, including stops at Fordham, Richmond, and Bowling Green. His teams have played in bowl games in each of the past seven years, winning five of them, including a victory over Missouri just last week in the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. Please welcome to the show the head football coach at Wake Forest University, Dave Clawson. Coach, thanks for joining us. Nick, thanks so much for having me on. And on behalf of, I think, college football coaches everywhere, thanks so much for what you do uh, to promote the bowl system. Uh, because as a, a college head coach, those are special memories and special weeks and, and not just the game. And uh, we appreciate your advocacy uh, to keep the bowl games going. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's a it's a labor of love for me. It's something I'm very passionate about. And uh, let's uh, let's dive into those, you know, some of those reasons why bowl games are so important. I I just mentioned you're, you're coming off a, a big 27-17 win over Missouri in the Gasparilla Bowl. Obviously, it's always good to get a win, but tell us about that bowl game in particular. What was the overall bowl experience like for your team in Tampa last week? It, it was, uh, it's an amazing week, Nick. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've always tried to do at Wake Forest is we want to make the bowl experience fun. And so we we try to get in 90% of the game plan before we get on the plane to go to the bowl site. And then once we get to the bowl site, you know, we'll do football in the morning. Uh, they have usually a team activity, whether it be community service or vil- visit the military base in the afternoon. But we give them a lot of free time. And I really want the, the bowl experience to be one that builds the brotherhood of our football program, that these guys get to spend time with each other, whether it's going out to dinner, uh, you know, hitting a a golf place, a bowling place, exploring a new city together. And I really believe that those bonds help build the relationships, which last forever. Uh, My last football game was in 1988 as a college football player. And you fast forward 34 years later, and some of those people are still to this day my very best friends in the world. And I want our players to not just get game experience or bowl rings, but I want them to build relationships that last forever. And I think the bowl experience is so critical to doing that. Couldn't agree more. We're going to get back to the bowl experience in a minute. I want to I want to put a bow on this season for a minute. To get to eight wins is quite an accomplishment. Uh, I I loved your answer, Coach, in the post-game press conference. I'll be honest, I didn't hear the question. But your answer was something along the lines of that you're you're flattered that some people might think eight wins is a down year for Wake Forest. Um, so that prompted me to be a, do a little bit of research. Wake Forest has won eight games or more just 10 times in 122 seasons of playing football. And you were the head coach for four of those years, 2017, 19, Last year in 2021, where you won 11 games, tied for a school record, and then of course this year. So, I want I want to give you a chance to brag on your program a little bit. How first of all, how difficult is it to win eight games in college football, no matter who you are, 
And how have you been able to build a program over nine years now to the point where the fans and the media are starting to get a little spoiled? Well, I think it's one of those things, Nick, and, and the word is so cliche-ish um, that I hate to use it. But again, I think it's all about building a culture. And at Wake Forest, um, we don't get the five-star recruits. You know, if a guy goes to a signing day ceremony and he's got eight hats laid out, he's probably not picking ours. And so we've built our whole program around uh, recruiting high character guys that fit Wake Forest, that want to get a degree, that love football. And so our ability to retain players, graduate them, and build consistency and continuity in our program has allowed us to create a culture uh, that, you know, it's never going to be a straight line upwards, but it's after the first two years, we've been a pretty consistent team. Um, and right now we have the second longest bowl streak in the ACC other than Clemson. Um, and, and I just think we have good players that love football, uh, that take pride in performance. And uh, there's a standard now. Uh, there's, a I think, a higher standard uh, than we've ever had before. And, you know, we'll own it. I'm, I'm glad that we're at a point that we've won eight games and people are disappointed with that. And, and we're disappointed. We you know, we want to win 12 games and then 13 and get to the college football playoff. Uh, but as long as that continues to be our goal, I think we'll continue to have good, solid seasons. And hopefully at some point we'll get in that playoff. I'm, I'm, I'm betting on you doing that someday, coach. Put, put me on the on that list. Uh, a lot of attention is placed on players opting out to go to the into the NFL draft. It's a question I get asked a lot about. Um, so help me answer it. And you kind of alluded to it earlier. You know, the some players opt out, it's less than 10%, probably less than 5%, 90. That means 90, 95% opt in for most of your players. As you said, last week was the last time they will put on a football uniform and play in a football game ever again. You're with these students, student athletes every day. Why are bowl games so meaningful to so many of your players? I just think it's an incredible way to cap the season. And you know, the football season is rewarding and every win's a good win, but the football season's really busy. Um, you know, our players at Wake Forest, you know, we don't have really online classes. So, you know, you, you have your football practices and your meetings and the weightlifting sessions and your travel and your pregame. And then they're in class for 12 to 15 hours a week and have tutoring sessions. And they have to, they have a lot of homework and writing papers. And they're really, really busy. And when you get to a bowl game, the semester's over, the finals are over. It's the one time that the players are really able to relax, enjoy football, enjoy each other's company um, without having the academic pressure. And I say that as a good thing. Uh, you know, Wake Forest is not an easy school. And that's why the degree is so meaningful. But for our players to get into December, and have this time that their finals are over, their grades are done, they can play football, they can hang out with their friends, and even the bowl experience we have on campus. You know, we take them out to nice dinners and they go bowling together and they go see movies together. And the the week or so or four or five days that we're on campus before we go to the bowl site are some of the very best times that we have as a program. And I think part of the reason we've been to seven bowl games in a row is our players want to go to a bowl. They want to have that time together. They want to have the bowl experience. And uh, it has created some incredible memories and moments in our program. 
You've been to nine bowl games as a head coach, including the seven at Wake Forest. <clears throat> we talk a lot on this show about bowl games being a reward for a successful season, but for a lot of programs, it's also a launching point for the following season. What, mo- what momentum can you take away from your team the way they closed out this season? And what does the bowl win do as you head into the offseason? Well, it's really twofold. Um, the extra practices when we're on campus, you know, there's times that we'll devote entire practices or at least sections of practice to just coaching our younger players, the guy that redshirted, the guy that are on scout team. And you're almost getting in half a spring practice for those guys. And I think it helps set the competitive tone that, hey, your redshirt year's over. You're now competing starting now for a job next year. And then that feeling after the game, uh, during the trophy ceremony, you know, we the last two years, we've kind of created this tradition that the entire program lays down around the trophy. And when you come to our facility, we put those pictures on banners. And the last one is just everybody, our players, our coaches, the cheer squad, uh, the support staff. And it's really this collective effort. And it's this chance to celebrate this wonderful memory together that we all that we accomplished all together, all 170, 80 people in the program. And, you know, how many things in society now do you have that 170 people are all rowing the boat in the same direction to achieve a common goal? And then you achieve it. I think it's really important you enjoy those moments. And unlike a regular season game that you got to hurry up and catch the plane home, you know, we hung out in that field for 45 minutes to an hour after the game, just trying to enjoy the moment and soak it all in. I saw that picture. I, I loved that. I didn't know it was a tradition for you, but that's uh, that, that's pretty cool. That, that, that picture might make it into one of our postseason newsletters. I got to. Well, gotta... we, we did it the year before at the Gator Bowl. And, uh, you know, right away this year, as soon as it's over, hey, let's get the picture. Let's get the picture. And everybody was on point with it. And those are incredible memories. And, you know, this year uh, before the bowl game, uh, I talked to our team about the experience of winning a bowl game, going back to the 16 military bowl, the 17. Uh, it was then the Belk Bowl. It's now the Mayo Bowl. And, uh, and then the Birmingham Bowl. And what great memories it created for our program. And again, if you walk through our facilities, we highlight every bowl game we've ever been to. And it's always a little bit more rewarding, you know, when the score is in our favor. And uh, again, I believe that what we're doing is creating lifetime memories. So out of all your bowl experiences, whether it be the uh, the events of bowl week or the game itself or post game, like we just talked about, what are some of the best memories you've had that you will always cherish? Well, I think it's, it's again, it's twofold, Nick, that, you know, you always remember the, the games you win and that feeling together. Uh, but I think one of the things people don't realize is when we went to the military bowl and Steve Beck and his staff do a phenomenal job with that bowl, over half our football team had never been to Washington, D.C. And so to get a tour of the monuments and to get a private tour of the Capitol um, and to to see the White House, and to spend time in D.C., half our football team had never been in our nation's capital. And then a couple of years later in 2019, you know, we took our team to the Pinstripe Bowl up in New York City, and I want to say three quarters of our team had never been to New York. And to play a game in Yankee Stadium, 
and to take our entire team to see the Christmas Spectacular uh, or to take our team to the World Trade Center Memorial. Those are life-changing experiences and moments um, that otherwise these players would never get to experience. So it's still, there's parts of it that still feel like an educational field trip for 18 to 22 years old, two-year-olds. And they they always talk about those things, the pictures, the memories, and then ultimately, you know, playing the game. And if you're able to win the game, that's just the cherry on top. So you, you, you've kind of answered this question, but a question I get asked a lot, and I'm hoping it stops someday, you know, so I need everybody on board with me to answer this. The, the expanded CFP, people ask me, how is it going to affect bowl season and all the other bowl games? And my thoughts are always, look, I love the CFP. I'm a college football fan. We need a mechanism to crown our national champion. But bowl season is equally important to, to probably a greater number of institutions and a greater number of student athletes. And, and the two aren't mutually exclusive. College football's postseason is bowl season and the CFP combined, I think, makes the greatest postseason in, in sports. Because let's face it, coach, most programs on an annual basis can't realistically aspire to make the playoff, right? Hopefully you can build to that point. So the, every program needs something to play for, something they, they can aspire to, something they can celebrate at the end of successful season. Now, I know you've basically answered this question a few times already, but tell tell us your thoughts on that. Am I am I am I going down the right path with with how I look at it? I believe so, Nick. And again, part of this comes from my five years as the head coach at, at Bowling Green. Um, the biggest goal every year there was to get to a bowl game and have that experience. Um, and you know, we have in our program we have progressive goals. I mean, our goal is to win the ACC and try to get to the college football playoff. But our first goal every year is to be bowl eligible. And even those t-shirts that you guys give out, when we get our sixth win, that's still a big deal. We're never ever gonna take that for granted and we're gonna celebrate that. And then when you get the seventh win, you know you have a chance of maybe getting to a little higher tier of a bowl. And then, you know, the year before we were eight no and, you know, you get excited about the chance of going to a New Year's Six Bowl or going to the college football playoff. Uh, but I just think to to keep goals alive, um, you know, let's say you start out and, and you struggle uh, in September and you struggle out of the gates. And at some point you're two and three. You know, if your only goal is the college football playoff, what's the point of playing the next seven games? But at two and three, you've still got seven games left more than half your season. When you still have that goal of getting to a bowl game and having that collective experience, there's still a lot to play for. And I'll just tell you this, that the people in our program love bowl games and they love the experience. And they're also incredible opportunities to bring an entire institution together. The band, the cheer squad, the amount of alums. Um, you know, when we played Texas A&M in the Belt Bowl in 2017, I think we had over 20, 25,000 Wake Forest fans, alums, donors, uh, you, you know, down at Bank of America Stadium. And what else brings an entire institution together like that other than football and a bowl game? Uh, and so, again, you, 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 you give more teams something to continue to play for other than those elite 12 that are going to be able to make it to the college football playoffs. So, um, 
you know, count me in that I hope the bowl games continue for a long, long time. Well, I think they, I think they will. Um, thank you for those thoughts and that perspective. I think most coaches feel that way, coach. I think we just need more people to talk about it uh, and express it publicly. Yeah. And the other standpoint I come from is I was a one double A head coach or FCS head coach for nine years. And fortunately our, our teams made the playoffs three of those times. The playoff experience is completely different than a bowl experience. A playoff experience is a home game or an away game. When you lose, it's done. Uh, it doesn't give you the opportunity to, to savor the season or the brotherhood because you're always preparing as if you're going to win and get ready for the next game. And I just think the bowl game allows for some closure either way that, uh, you know, the, the playoffs, you know, when it's all said and done, there's only one team that's going to finish happy. And, and those are some lonely moments when you lose that playoff game. And again, we want to be in that position. And I hope at some point we get there. But it's a totally different experience than the bowl experience. Last question for you, Coach. I'm a big believer that we're we're all a product of our experiences and we're a product of the people that we've surrounded ourselves with over the course of their life. So the question I like to ask our guests, who have, who have been some of your mentors as you've climbed up the coaching ranks and uh, who had the biggest influences on you when you first broke into the profession? Well, uh I, the two greatest influences I had as a player were my high school basketball coach, Jim Walker, who uh, unfortunately just passed away two weeks ago. And uh, I was honored to do his eulogy. And then my college football coach at Williams, Dick Farley, who's in the College Football Hall of Fame, who was just an incredible coach, leader, mentor. Um, without those two, I probably never, ever would have got into coaching. Um but Bob Ford, who gave me my first opportunity to be a college coach at the University of Albany back in 1989, uh, was a great role model. And I'm very fortunate. Probably the second biggest role model and mentor I have is Kevin Higgins, who was the head coach I worked for at Lehigh, who's now my assistant head coach and wide receiver coach. So how lucky am I that my mentor and one of the people I respect the most in the profession is now on my staff uh, and helps me on a daily basis. So I'd say if there's four people that had the greatest influence on me, those are probably the four. Well, coach, thanks so much for your time. We, we know you're busy. Hopefully you're having a chance to catch your breath a little bit. I know, you know, the, uh, the, the, it never stops, you know, right into recruiting, but really feel fortunate. I had a chance to meet you last spring and spent a little bit of time with you. I was able to watch Wake Forest games through a little different lens with a little different sense of enthusiasm uh, this year. And uh, you're an easy guy to root for. Uh, love your program. Love uh, our, our our friend, Ben Sutton, who a uh, big donor at Wake Forest. Uh, he's one of the best. And he he makes sure that uh, I stay up on all my Wake Forest news. So you don't, you don't have to worry about that. Well, Nick, thanks so much for having me on. And thanks for being at our bowl game in Tampa. And thanks for your visit to our campus. And I think on behalf of our whole profession, uh, thanks for what you're doing. Because I know in the ACC meeting rooms, man, we really, all of us appreciate the bowl experiences. So thanks so much for, for doing what you're doing to advocate for bowls. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate that. We're going to take a short break and be right back with the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl Executive Director, Doug Mosley. Stay with us. The forecast for this tax season? 
It's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is brought to you by Tappet. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. Please welcome to the show the executive director of the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, Doug Mosley. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It's truly a privilege. So we're roughly halfway through the 43-game bowl season schedule, and your game was played last Tuesday. So tell us, uh, last week's RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, how did everything go for you? You know, it went really well. We had rain, which compared to some of the freezing temperatures I know some of my colleagues have dealt with, it's uh, I got off easy. But, you know, that always dampens a little bit of your your crowd and such. But, you know, if you don't focus on that piece of it, the game was fantastic. It was well played. I can't say enough about Liberty and Toledo. They had a great bowl week, both of them. Um, we had great events. Um, it, you know, really it all summed up to a great success once I dry out. <laughs> well, you mentioned the game on the field. It certainly was a close one. Toledo outlasted Liberty 21-19. It was Liberty's uh, fourth bowl game appearance. They won their first three, so it was their first loss. Great win for Toledo. But leading up to the game, how did both squads enjoy the experience overall, both in the days leading up to the bowl game as well as the game day itself? You know, they we believe in getting them down here, getting them to the beach. We don't over program them. We want them to enjoy the area, to enjoy their free time down here. We always do a community outreach uh, event with them. And then, you know, it's your standard bowl lunch of the day before and then the game day. And both of them really came away saying how much they enjoyed the trip. Um, I know that for both teams, they had a significant amount of student athletes from down here. So, it was a lot of that being able to see family and play in front of family and that. But, you know, so much of it is beaches and palm trees, and I just try not to screw that part of it up. <laughs> well, you, you've had some great success over the years in terms of sponsorships with the Boca Raton Bowl. Tell us about your current partnership with RoofClaim.com and what has been the secret of getting such great support over the years? You know, it's um, we were kind of that wave of new bowls that came in. I mean, if you think about it, there's going to be a whole bunch of us celebrating our 10th anniversary this next year. And for us, we'll come into that 10th year with Roof Claim as a title sponsor another year. And that'll mark eight out of our first 10 where we've had title sponsorship. And that's so important on your bottom line, on, on whether you're going to turn it and make it a positive bottom line or if it's going to go the other way. You know, we've, we've been very fortunate uh, we had Marmot, which was part of a group that was local to Boca Raton. Then we had uh, Chair Bundy come through, and they had some ties to the area. And Roof claimed the same thing. It, it's all basically developing title sponsorships out of local ties. I mean, granted, Palm Beach County, Boca Raton, we're home to a lot of companies that have moved their operations to the south. And um, that given us a very fertile ground to work for title sponsors. I've even got a couple of them. And I know I'm going to get that call again coming up soon. I've got a couple of them that say, hey, I want to be your next title sponsor. Has, has Roof claimed, is their contract up yet? I'm like, no, they've, they've got another year to go plus options. Well, it's nice, nice to have people in line for it to be a title sponsor. That, that's usually not the case. You must be doing something right down there, Doug. Well, we you try. You know, it's, it's all... 
look, it's those local relationships and, of course, the right kind of companies, you know, these emerging brands. Uh, Chair Bundy was a lot of fun to work with, you know, being a consumer brand and the things they did. And, you know, we had a great relationship with their CEO and he was telling us how their sales literally translated. You know, it just it just rose with the the uh, publicity they were getting from the title sponsorship of, of the bowl game. And as I talked with the Chair Bundy, or I'm sorry, as I talked with the Roof Claim CEO just this past game on Tuesday night, and he was saying the same thing how their recognition of their brand goes up during bowl season and, and it stays out there. People tend to remember, Hey, don't you have your name on a bowl game? That kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, you, you would know this. I mean, and you mentioned next year is going to be the 10th year anniversary. You were part of launching uh, the Boca Raton bowl back in 2014. What do you remember the most about starting up the game and helping the operation take its first steps? You know. Honestly, Nick, I got to give all the credit to Pete Derzis and Richard Giannini. Of course, Richard just retired last year, was honored at our bowl season meetings. Those guys pretty much had the local piece of it tied together. It was just a matter of coming in, working in the market, building those relationships and everything. But really, when I got came on board, I remember I got a call in February, and um, February 14, and I would I was talking with Pete and I said, is this for December, 2015? He goes, Oh no, this is for this December. And I was in Cincinnati working at UC. So I had to get down here, establish those relationships, get everything lined out. But you know, it's, it was one of those things. I, I owe a lot to those guys and everything. I mean, they, they had the master plan on how to set these up. They've done it so well in other markets and um, it, it worked here. Well, I tell you, most people don't grow up and say, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be the executive director of a bowl game. You know, so there's really not a, a lot of ways to prepare for it. You and your 42 colleagues uh, that run the other bowl games, very tight fraternity. So, but, but tell me, how did your background uh, in college athletics and also in the media help with your role as executive director of the Boca Raton Bowl? Well, I've had 27 years on campus or in organizations like I spent four years at the NAIA, the small college national governing body, working with schools and that, you know, I was at schools like UC before I came here, you know, ULM or Detroit, places like that. So I had a lot of contacts out there, but I'd also had an opportunity to work for a regional sports network that was owned by Comcast and Charter. And that helped me get the insights that ESPN was looking for. It kind of came together as a combination. Um, I can't say enough, though, about having that on-campus experience was was crucial. I mean, I don't have a lot of disconnects with my teams. I understand what they're looking for. I've been on the other side of it. I've been on, you know, those guys coming to a bowl game someplace. I, I tell stories about to our local people. I'm like how important it is for the community to be involved because I share my own bowl experiences. You know, we we greet the teams, teams on the tarmac when they arrive. I say, Man, when I went to some bowl games early on, the only people greeting us on the tarmac were the baggage handlers. <laughs> Times have changed for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, we talk. Uh, we have executive directors on every week on this podcast, and and we talk to them all about the role that the community plays in supporting your game, as well as the role that you play in in, in supporting the community. It's all these bowl games. You, you mentioned your title sponsors being being local. Uh, communities are really proud to host these bowl games. Uh, we all know that. And you're personally active in many community efforts in Boca Raton. 
Uh, how has that community worked help you with networking support for the bull and the relationship building overall? Well, it, it, it's been crucial. I mean, number one, just, you know, having those relationships, um, having that commonality with those folks, you know, I mean, I, I'm on the board of several of these organizations that we work with and there's others on the board that are also out there in the corporate community that we've got that relationship, whether it be the YMCA or Habitat for Humanity or other places. Um, and it's also organizations that we believe in. So they're, they're prominent in our community. Um, we like to have them as part of what we do in our game. And I just feel like that um, it is when you're active with them, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to maintain that year round you know, hey, I'm in the community. I live here. I have a house here, that kind of thing. Um, but through those organizations and through our events that we do with those organizations, we'll do around 80 to 90 events in a year. So that keeps us busy, keeps us very visible in the community. Yeah, no doubt about it. Most people, uh, you know, I know you get asked this question. I get asked this question a lot. Well, the, you know, you have a game in December. What do you do the rest of the year? Right. And, uh, <laughs> They're, they're, you know, where do you, where do you start is the answer. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, we try and do something. We try and involve our community in everything we do. We, my thing is I'm always telling the folks that I work with, you know, it's important that we involve the community as far as having a, a piece of the game, a feel of ownership. And we do things like, you know, for our anthem singer, our national anthem singer, we have a contest, a community contest that uh, has an online component to it, and then it has a in-person component to it. We may have modeled it after some TV show that has Idol in the name and possibly may have put it up in our name too, but I can't say that in a public forum because I think they have the rights to that. So let's keep that between us, okay? For sure. For sure. We won't tell anybody. Yeah. Well, but uh, Poker and Tumble, Idol, we do a tailgate event. You know, it's just the more you can do. And, and all these events are done hand in hand with our charitable partners. Well, that's that's uh, so much fun. I know I know the student athletes that participate in your game have a great experience, great stories, memories that last a lifetime. And that's what bowl season's all about. Well, Doug, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank I, you. I know you're probably trying to take some time off this week since you were uh, – uh, 24, 24-7 uh, uh, leading up to your game. But really appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, everything you do in, in running the Boca Raton Bowl. It's a great part of bowl season. And uh, looking forward to your 10th anniversary next year. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate everything that you do. It's just fantastic what you put together here. and Glad to be a part of it. Thanks, Doug. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Stay with us. Bowl season is finally here. And with Bowl Season Radio, you'll be able to keep up with all the action. Bowl season is teaming up with First Team Ventures to provide live national radio play-by-play -play coverage for 18 college bowl games this season. Bowl season radio will give college fans the opportunity to stay dialed in to college football's postseason, whether they are driving cross-country or staying close to home. Celebrate college football and listen to bowl season radio on select stations, satellite radio, or off the game day live homepage at bowlseason.com. Welcome back to the show. Our final guest is the president of Logitix, Greg Nortman. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Excited to be here. Well, we all know how unique college football is, and we're coming down to the stretch run here where it gets super exciting. Uh, I think, in my opinion, the passion of the fans, especially those who attend the games live on game day, I, I think is unmatched in sports. But we know the trend in 
with, with some live sporting events, not all of them, but some of them, you know, live attendance is declining a little bit. There's so many options for fans nowadays to watch games on their TVs, their phones. It's cheaper to stay at home. Uh, you're kind of an expert on this subject. How big of a problem is this issue of a cl- declining attendance? Does it is it happening across all different types of sporting events, and and why is this happening? You know, it, it's it's a great question. I, you know, I don't think there's a decline in attendance. I think we're seeing a shift, right? Um, you know, historically, um, a lot of people have attended events through the season ticket, and I think now people are more becoming single single event buyers. They're picking their spot, um, and so. You know, 2022 coming out of COVID, there was there was more events than there's ever been, right? Uh, the, the music industry was on hold, and so there's a lot of content. There's a lot of choices right now, and so people are picking their spots. We're seeing a lot of uh, significant demand for high events, high demand events, and then some of the you know the regular season Tuesday type game is a little bit more distressed than before. But in general, you know, the companies in my space, we're all growing. The ticketing companies are seeing more demand. And we're just seeing people shift in where they buy and when they buy. So um, we don't feel that there's a, a real reduction in the amount of people going to events. It's just changing which ones they go to. So, um, you know, that that's what we're observing this year. That's interesting. Well, at Logitech, you have some solutions uh, for your partners. You like to call yourselves a one-stop shop ticketing platform. T- tell us why and, and what does that mean? Yeah, we're really we're a pricing and distribution company, um, and we we base all of our decisions on data. And you know, in the modern era, people are very comfortable buying in different platforms. Um, primary ticketing companies invest millions of dollars in getting people to ad- adopt using their apps. Uh, you know, they take up different buildings in different regions, and so we sell tickets where the fans buy, right? And a lot of the primary ticketing companies don't have the tools or the distribution to do that. And in the bowl space, it's particularly useful because a bowl is focused on producing a great event, picking a great matchup, um, working with the teams and the alumni base. And it's basically impossible for a bowl to get that right, right? The, 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 and I don't say that as a, a knock on a bowl, it's actually just, it's actually to their credit because they're getting different games from, from teams from different regions and so they need to have the ability to pivot and move and sell where the fans are buying. And so working with a company like Logitech or other uh, companies in our space is, is pretty critical for a bowl. So, um, you know, we, we help uh, the simplest way to think about it is we help rights holders and events sell more tickets for more money and get the, get it out there. And, you know, the last thing I'll say, it's very much like if you think about an iPhone, right? Uh, it's not just sold in um, an Apple store. It's sold in Best Buy and Walmart and other places. And that's what we do for events is we help them sell where consumers go. So that's that's what Logitech does. Um, we're a B2B solution. We're behind the scenes. No one's buying a ticket from us. We're really just helping the rights holders price sell and distribute their tickets. You mentioned data. You know, we, we hear, you know, people talking about uh, using data as a tool pretty much everywhere these days. Tell How do you use data analytics to assist in this effort? We use data for everything. Um, I say, though, that what we do is science and then art. So right now, this week, uh, you know, the week before Selection Sunday, we are going with all of our bold partners and doing scenario planning. It's literally a grid with, you know, if it's a Pac-12 Big Ten Bowl and it's all of the potential teams that can go. And then we are we are presenting kind of what the demand looks like for those teams and analyzing, um, you know, where the buyers will be. And so. Um, it drives everything we do. Um, but that being said, 
There's other factors, uh, which I call domain expertise, which you have to factor in. That's the art. Um, our bowl directors and, and uh, VPs of ticketing and people that are running bowls, they know the fan bases. And so, you know, things we've studied is if you bring a school back for the third time, what impact does that have, right? Our data might show that this school is great going to this bowl, but if they've gone for a third year, there starts to become some fatigue, right? Or, you know, how does a team come out of their conference game? Are they winning a conference championship and they're excited to go to the bowl game? Or are they disappointed coming out of that because they're not going to the CFP playoffs? And so that's more of the art. And so science, the, the data dictates everything, but then the art and the domain expertise, I think, uh, is very important as well. So that's how we use data and expertise combined to come up, which you know we think is the right answer. So, so you spoke a little bit in generalities about some of the things you do specifically with bowl games, but maybe a little bit more specifically, who are some of the teams or events or bowl games you've worked with and do you have any success stories to share? Yeah, you know, it's, um, the bowls are very important to me personally and to our company. Uh, my career is focused on it for about the past 14 years and I, I just love working on them. And recently, you know, we've worked with, we've worked with the biggest bowls to some of the, the more, you know, s- smaller bowls. and. Um, we've been working a lot with bowls in great cities, you know, like Nashville and San Antonio, where we've helped them price both the primary and the secondary to align their markets um, in the right way. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of success in the year after, right, uh, where we've kind of right sized the ship. And so they're seeing a lot of early sales, right, and shifting um, buyers earlier, which is helpful for a bowl to predict, you know, um, attendance and and revenue and things like that. I'm very proud of, you know, we work everywhere, right? Um, I'm very proud of our partnership with uh, Cronky Sports. We just went through them winning the Stanley Cup championship, and that was really exciting. Um, a great partner of ours is the National Finals Rodeo, which is an event, I, you know, I don't know if the college uh, fan is familiar with, but it's the Super Bowl of Rodeo in Las Vegas. It's happening in about three or four days, and it just, it couldn't be more fun. But for me, I think the success stories, and not to sound cheesy, it's it's about the people, right? I love. I love working with the people in the bowl industry, right? The people at the Cotton Bowl are good people. The, 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 Jeff Hunley is the man. Kevin Ash is, couldn't be more fun, right? Uh, and so I am just happy to be sort of part of that community um, and be able to work with them. And again, it almost sounds ridiculous, but making them happy is kind of what makes me happy in my job. And so it's listening to their goals and then being able to execute. And it's stressful, right? These are, these, these are, 48 hour turnarounds where everyone's traveling and you've got, uh, you know, huge fan demand. So, you know, I think the success stories is just shown in kind of the happiness of the partners and and that, you know, I get to be here and talking to you. So um, they're all over the place and I wasn't too specific, but, um, you know, I, I get them in this industry a lot. Now, this is interesting stuff and and you're spot on, Greg. Yeah, they, um, I'm very fortunate to work in the bowl industry and to oversee it. There's so many good people. I almost think you, you can't be a jerk and work in the bowl industry because it, it just, it just wouldn't work. Well, and I will say we're, we're lucky to have you. I mean, I think since you've kind of taken over the helm in the last couple of years of, uh, you know, bowl season and the rebranding and your leadership, I, I really appreciate it. So, you know, thanks to you for uh, well, thank, stepping up. Thank you, Greg, of, for that. Thank, yeah. thank And thanks for your time. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, really hope we bump into each other at a bowl game. There's 43 of them coming up in the next, uh, next six weeks. So it's, there's certainly a lot of opportunities. So hopefully I see you on the road. I would love it. Thanks. All right. Thanks, thanks Nick. to all of you for listening to this week's bowl season stories podcast. Please join us next week. When we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. 
And as always, you can follow all the podcast and bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at bowl season. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.